visit geoal.com and learn how GeoAL implements next-generation intelligence advancement technologies to aid the Department of Defense with precision and expertise analysis. <laughs> GeoAL, the new era of intelligence. Welcome to the Veteran Business Collective Podcast. I'm Avery Washington. I'm getting to host the VBC podcast for today. I'm joined by Dave Polaris, the Vice President of Operations at Cloudwise here in Wilmington. Dave, thank you for joining us. Not a problem, man. Absolutely. So I know you, I've known you since 2019. Mm-hmm originally from the Honor Foundation. That's correct. For those who don't, you think you could give us a quick background of, of who you are and I guess how you got here today? Sure. Um, professionally or you want to go all the way back? As far back as you want to go. Okay. Well, um, I originally hailed from Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't born and raised there, but the majority of my young I would say impressionable youth was spent in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Uh, graduated from Lothian High School in 1992. If that makes you feel young or look at me as older, no, <laughs> older than you thought. Um, took a took a few years to get into a four year college. Didn't really take my uh, my high school career that seriously. Um, and uh, and but what I did do in high school is I got involved with. Uh, with the fire department that quickly became a passion of mine. I was a volunteer fireman there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my aspirations were to uh, attend a four-year college and uh, get out with a degree. Um, and then once once I completed that is go back into the fire service mm -hmm. and become a fireman. Um, that quickly changed my senior year. So did three years in junior college uh, slash uh, military prep school. <clears throat> Shout out to Fork Union Military Academy in Virginia, Fluvanna County, uh, and finally was accepted into Virginia Military Institute. Why I had no as other than uh, I had no aspirations of going in the military, mm -hmm. so you may ask why Virginia Military Institute, and it was strictly because of the discipline and the rigidity uh, within that organization or within that um, school that would provide me with the structure I needed to really. Because I didn't take my former year so seriously mm -hmm. academically, it would provide me that structure to, to complete the, the latter years of okay. my... So if I can jump in. Sure. So you attended some of these these military schools initially without the intention of joining the military. That's absolutely right. And so granted, I'm old enough to remember before everyone had the internet in their pocket. Right. So what led you... What led you to even have the idea, one, that there's something with more structure that I can go attend mm -hmm. in in this along this that will help me down this path I'm trying to go. Right. And how did you end up finding it? It's a great question, actually, because uh, so between my I, I was kind of a 
punk skate rat kid mm-hmm. and a jock at the same time, I, which is which has become this kind of common theme in my life is I have this kind of wild side to me, very creative, very uh, anti-establishment, kind of rage against the machine-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I do have this more traditional black and white um, nose to the grindstone, hard work produces great results type deal. Um, which you can have it on the other side. Either way, you get the idea. I've totally. got I've got more fluid side and then more structured side. I gained true appreciation with that um, through my um, uh, sports career in high school, what, which I would call a very small career. I I was not a large kid um, when I graduated high school. I was five four, one hundred forty five pounds, so I was kind of a runt. But um, I, I enjoyed sports. Really enjoyed the activity. A lot of my friends did sports. Half my friends, the jock side of my friendship, our friend circle, were sportsmen. And so I stopped playing football and devoted all my time into wrestling my junior year of high school. And I never started. And a buddy of mine went to Jay Robinson's intensive wrestling camp my our sophomore year and came back just a stud. Mm-hmm. Totally transformational. I mean, he was a pretty good wrestler before, transformed him into an elite wrestler. My, I saw that and I saw, hey, what, what the public school system couldn't provide me in regards to structure and the discipline to understand and, and, and uh, know how to glean like hard work mm-hmm. and dedication, you know, devote your energies in those areas. I saw that, you know, Jay Robinson could absolutely provide me that to create the goal of, of becoming a better wrestler. So I went to Jay Robinson's wrestling camp, my, um, you know, I worked at Freddie's discount drugstore to make up enough money okay. to, to fly out to Erie, Pennsylvania. And I went to that wrestling camp and came back a changed person. Um, not only did it give me, it, it refined that discipline I needed and gave me a true appreciation <clears throat> of what I needed to do to become a, a better athlete. I started my whole senior year. Mm-hmm. The results proved it. Thus, to answer your question, when I graduated, I wasn't finding finding academic success. I was going to mm-hmm. junior college, and I couldn't even pass the placement test. I mean, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, that that same mentality kicked in, and I'm like, I need something more intensive, more uh, st- structured and discipline-oriented. And my neighbors had gone to Virginia Military Institute. Gotcha. And so the who, seed was planted. The seed was planted there. Mm-hmm. So as I followed a friend of mine in high school with wrestling, I followed them with uh, higher education okay. and academics. Um, got in there and um, kind of really still crawled and, and clawed my way through the four years, but graduated uh, after four years. And then my between my um, fall and spring semester of my senior year, had kind of a life-changing uh, event occur, uh, which um, separation of relationship, mm-hmm. right? which totally changed my mindset. And I said, you know what, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm, before I commit myself to a long-term career, I'm going to go out and try to get every experience in the book I can. Mm-hmm. One of them was military uh, uh, military experience. My father had been in the Marine Corps uh, for 10 years when he was younger. My grandfather was a retired senior chief. Mm-hmm. I had on the other side of the family, I did have military members as well. So I said, let's do this. I mean, it's not going to hurt. It's going to, again, provide me structure. It's going to give me some money in the pocket you know, plant a financial seed for me so I can hop out on, on my next adventure on the right foot. So I enlisted as a, um, as a 3533, uh, which is an LVS operator, truck driver. And, uh, as soon as I graduated college and, uh, then 
So right after calling my enlisted recruiter, I called the OSO because I wasn't on a contract at school, called the OSO in town and I said, hey, look, I want to use this degree. I want to become an officer, but I'm going to be enlisted for a year first. Um, you know, can you sign me up? He's like, yeah, well, call me back when you when you get through all your enlisted training and getting your first uh, reserve drill weekend okay. and then call me and I'll have all the paperwork done and we'll start processing you. So long story short, did a year enlisted. A year to the day, I was standing on the yellow footprints in Quantico, uh, did 20 years as a, or 19 as a Marine Corps officer, 19-ish, as a Marine Corps officer in communications and IT. What was first basically communications, it's now evolved into everything IT. Everything is a computer these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what kept me in it was uh, for 20 years, because it was a supposed, supposed to be just a one term and get out, sort of get the experience. 9-11, I was on deployment when 9-11 hit, and then from then on out, it became really sporty. It became, um, it kind of shifted my mindset of the military and what I was doing in it, and I, as it did, I'm sure, all of us mm -hmm. uh, who served, and, um, and then did 20, and when 20 came around the corner, uh, it was glaringly obvious that uh, my time in the Marine Corps was coming to an end, so I retired. And uh, did this? Did well, three, go ahead. So something interesting you mentioned earlier on in explaining how you ended up going to this wrestling camp and also going to Virginia Military Institute. I've always had this theory, and you're probably the first person I've spoken to that in some way validated this theory I have. Because I, I, as a real estate broker, I deal with discussions about affordable housing all the time. Right. And I, I always have an, a disagreement about creating concentrations of affordable housing vice mixed income housing where you facilitate the cross-pollination of families or individuals of varying socioeconomic statuses. Mm -hmm. And a part of that idea is as opposed to co-locating a number of people with a similar similar challenges – what difference it would make in someone's life if maybe you're in a single parent household, but your neighbor is an accountant yeah, or your other neighbor is a lawyer. Yeah. Right. And no one knows the wiser unless you all sit around and talk about how much your rent is or, right. or whatever, or how much you bought something for. Right. But it would create understanding and empathy through time, right? Getting yep. to know someone helps break down the barriers of differences. Yes. Um, so that was really interesting to hear because yeah. for all you know, their parents just paid for the camp, right? Right. They didn't work all summer for it. Right. And for all you know, is their dad went to VMI and he just said like, hey, get my son in, right? There's a lot of, right? I don't want to say there was a lot of that. But <laughs> I'm sure there is. Sure there is, yeah. But for you, just you seeing that yeah. and seeing the difference it made in their life, even if how you would get the opportunity to have the same difference made in your life, well, even though that wasn't necessarily ready, readily apparent, you decided, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. And that changed the rest of your life. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, gaining a different perspective from the relationships you you forge into or, or that you forge as you get into those relationships. You know, it's um, one interesting point on that. When I did go to the prep preparatory school for Kenya Military Academy, mm -hmm. it was an all-male school, and I was um, – 
I'm not quite sure how this worked out, but my roommate was from Indonesia. Okay. Um, he was what, what you would probably consider an exchange student. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my, our neighbor right next to our room was from Denmark. Um, and so Aday Merkadal uh, was my roommate for over a year mm -hmm. in 1993. And that was before there was a whole lot of knowledge of different cultures, especially cultures of Indonesia, uh, Muslim religion. Um, and now, and I, I was thrust right into it. Mm -hmm. And not only the, the intellectual knowledge that I gained of living with him through Ramadan, you know, especially and being like, and just going through that tradition with him when we're mm -hmm. stuck in a room, no bigger than this, uh, living together and seeing, you know, him live out his traditions. And then, you know, just talking to him at night when lights out occurred, you know, and he, I'm on the top bunk, he's on the bottom rack, and we're just, you know, talking and conversating, you know, what do you miss from home? What do I miss from home? Absolutely. You know, and a lot of it was like cultural meals and things of that nature and interactions that he would have with his family. It just, it opened up a different uh, perspective for me that I never had before and really served me very, very well, um, I think. So I think you're absolutely correct. You never know. We stumble through these lives, sometimes inadvertently running into people that affect us tremendously, mm -hmm. and you never know when that's going to happen. But to your point, if those things are kind of not set up but uh, nurtured, then... Definitely. Along your path, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's excellent. So you retired. I did, yeah. And then what was next? So I retired in 18, and uh, right at the end of my retirement, the Honor Foundation had just received funding from the Marine Raider Foundation to open up a campus uh, in serving all the Marine Raiders here in Southeast North Carolina, coming out of MARSOC, MARSOC headquarters, mm -hmm. uh, and the two battalions that were over here at the time. Um, and that resulted from the campus on in San Diego that was open to serving the the Marines, uh, the Raiders in on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So that happened. I I heard about it through a relationship that I had at the command because I retired from MARSOC. Okay. I applied, went through the interview process, and opened that campus and ran that campus for three years until this past July when it was my time. Uh, it was it was again writing on the wall. It mm -hmm. was my time to you know step aside and allow Chris Bannister mm -hmm. to come in and and uh, put his thumbprint on that campus and ferry the uh, shepherd, I should say, the the Marines and sailors and and others from Marsoc who are transitioning. Uh, so I left and then been in Cloudwise since July. That's awesome. And I actually had the privilege of getting to attend the Honor Foundation. Yep which ironically so i applied for it on my last deployment i had about six months left in the military mm -hmm. and by the time i went i was already out right and even in doing that because because i i thought am i going to even have any use for this i'm already out i'm already doing something that i reasonably enjoy i f i am so grateful that i went and it had an incredible impact on me personally and professionally. Yeah. And even now, every single person I meet getting out of MARSOC or SOF in general, I just say, have you applied for the Honor Foundation? You should do it. <laughs> yeah. I was already out and I would I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. So yeah. definitely. And I, you were always the best dressed guy in the just, cohort. Just a chronic overdresser. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to avoid decision fatigue. Whenever you'd walk in, we like, damn, I wish I could get, have some style like that, man. 
definitely life changing. Yeah. So now you're out Cloudwise. Yeah. Can you tell us more about what you do at Cloudwise or, or what they do in general? Yeah. Right? So Cloudwise is a and basically an all-in-one IT solution company. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus website design or you know application development. Okay. Um, we we do everything, and one of the big ones is we uh, provide a managed services uh, department, which for a company, uh, for anywhere from four people to four hundred people, uh, who really IT is a burden for them, Certainly. Uh, and it's always a struggle. They're still working off their Google Drive, um, might not have the proper security in place, or uh, or have just outgrown. Uh, their ability to uh, provide the capacity they need for cloud storage or whatever, mm-hmm. um, phones even, we provide that for them. Uh, so they sounds hire like, us. And, sounds like you're describing a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe myself <We've>, included. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, uh, it, and it's it's one of those things, there's a lot of trust involved. Again, relationships. I mean, I'm, the, more, the older I get or the more I travel through this, uh, this lifetime, um, I'm figuring out that it's, you know, the success maybe even, or even survival is built off relationships and relationship building. And so uh, one of the major things in a relationship is trust. So Absolutely. it's hard for, especially when you're dealing with IT now where, you know, there's a lot of people out there that still don't understand uh, the basics, much less the complexity of providing suitable and reliable IT support to your company. It's hard to hire somebody to do that because you really don't know other than the big names, the Googles and the Microsofts. You really don't know who to trust. Mom and pop shop in town, who's which we're not. I mean, we we started out that way, but um, we're no longer that. Uh, it's really hard to trust somebody with all of your vital information, right? So, uh, so yeah, that's what we do. And then, then we are also internet service provider. One of the big th- uh, things we've built is is a relationship, which is a private uh, and uh, public uh, partnership with some of the counties in North Carolina to provide okay. uh, internet service, broadband internet service to the underserved communities in uh, North Carolina. So I, I don't know if the audience or yourself is aware of, but there's a lot of federal funding trickling down to local local uh, uh, county or local governments to provide um, uh, broadband to underserved communities, communities that are still using dial-up for their access from their residents to 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 interface with the internet and and so we are we're helping with that through these public and private partnerships mm-hmm. and it was obviously just it, it went from a uh, from a walk to a sprint when covid hit and that was actually a question i yeah. had because i imagine that the urgency for doing something like this increased when everybody was expected to stay home from school and just learn online. Yeah. Right. And there are a lot of rural areas where I can't even depend on getting a cell phone reception. Correct. Never mind a good internet connection. Correct. Learn online through a streaming, you know, mm-hmm. for, or through Zoom mm-hmm. or uh, Microsoft Teams or Google Connect. What any of the any of the numerous ones that are out there now. Mm-hmm that require some pretty decent bandwidth to to get that going. And um, yeah, it's a struggle. And so we're we're trying to close that. What we knew as the uh, digital divide on the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, between those large, stable, 
headquarters elements, and then the you know the edge of the battle the battle space with the gunfighter. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you get all that information that he is gathering all back to the decision makers? Um, we're kind of experiencing the same thing now. How do you get where all that information is? Mm-hmm out to the edge of the residential space in those information deserts, if you, if you want to call it that. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a daunting task. There's, it's complicated. There's a lot, there are a lot of trees in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a lot of places. You know your communication there, principles. Yeah. There, there are, are a lot of, well, there are a lot of places where there are more trees than houses here. Yes. And yeah, I, yeah. So I imagine that's challenging. Yeah. yeah it yeah. seems like builders are actively trying to change it as fast as they can. However, it seems like it'll be that way for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's something, I guess, what's something you've observed or, or even learned in being involved with uh, an endeavor like that? Right, where you're essentially providing, helping people get access to a service that's nearly becoming a requirement. A utility. For, exactly, a yeah. utility for, for being able to fully participate in society. Yeah. Um, well. It's a little loaded. Feel free to take a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess the biggest thing that I've learned is like the demand, what well, we would call in the military the demand signal mm-hmm. is extreme and it, it you know it's extreme in the luxury part of what the internet provides and now it's extreme in the actual utility of what the internet provides you know uh from my perspective you know licking a stamp putting on an envelope and paying your water bill is you know not too hard mm-hmm. and i could do that you know fit that into my schedule but the luxury of being able to put it on auto pay or something like that, Absolutely. or even access the internet and do it in a quicker, you know, time frame, um, that you know that that is here in the you know it's a luxury here, but it's also a luxury out there that people understand is is they're able to do and they can't do it because mm-hmm. they can't they don't have a reliable connection. Commerce is becoming so you you know even the small business owners, the farmers out there. Um, uh, we have a gentleman who owns a uh, chicken farm, I believe it is, um, out in uh, in the part in one of the counties that we're serving, and the ability for him to increase the efficiency of his company is, you know, he knows it's there. He he just can't tap into it. He can't get his hooks in it, right? And so, you know, it, I think the biggest thing is is that we. You know, part of the I guess part of the population takes it for granted. The other part part of the population is just screaming for it, and then you have these IT companies or these internet providers that are you know as big as a Verizon or an AT and T, and as you know small as a Cloudwise or any other smaller internet provider that are trying to figure out the complexities involved. Like you mentioned, it mm-hmm. it, it is hard to. It's hard. Number one. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could relate it to how did you, you know how do we you know provide the sewer systems when Definitely. when sewage became you know a utility that everybody wanted, you know they didn't want to go to their outhouse anymore they wanted running water to the house they wanted to flushing commodes <laughs> yeah and I learned recently that you know in a lot of areas that's still you know a problem but um, there is complexity how do you if if we want to bury fiber out to these areas you know it 
that's a lot of digging and a long and Absolutely. and you have permitting and you have environmental studies. environmental studies and it's just stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked and for a smaller company to absorb that and to be able to fight through it it takes a little bit more time than some of the larger companies where it's like oh permitting send that to this department who does nothing but that um, so uh, so number one the discover number one discovery was that the demand signal is huge out there not everybody you know has what we would have in a, in a larger metropolitan area. Um, and then um, the complexity of it, it's very, very difficult. And so negotiate. And then I guess the other thing is just building relationships in those communities, building trust that we're trying to fight this battle mm -hmm. for you. Um, and then, and then having to explain the nuances of why it's taking so long. That's it's a, good a lot lesson of learned. It's a That's lot a of good lesson learned. A lot of what we had to do for our commanders, you know, back in the day too. <laughs> Explain why it's taken so long. I imagine that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. <laughs> also, along with that, that makes me think of two other things. One, in your retirement from the military, right? So, sort of a one and a half part question, and in your work with the Honor Foundation, what? challenges did you face in transitioning out of the military and what did you see people deal with most often going through a program like the honor foundation yeah i mean i think it's been said before um so i you know i'm not ashamed to say it i was i got passed twice for promotion to mm -hmm. lieutenant colonel mm -hmm. um there's probably although there was no smoking gun in my in my record book that me or my career counselor could find there's probably a good reason for that um although i wouldn't have changed my career one iota i had an amazing and very unique for a communicator very unique career um but in being passed for promotion and then subsequently or eventually retiring it was a huge loss you know mm -hmm. for me and one that i didn't expect much like my son going to college was a it was very traumatic to me and I didn't mm -hmm. expect that to happen but being rejected and I say rejected with all due respect I know the Marine Corps the Marine Corps is an institution that needs to survive and it does what it needs to do to survive and mm -hmm. make Marines and win battles so mm -hmm. no blame and and I'm not whining or or anything else but it was like a what I could assume would be like a divorce you mm -hmm. know I was I was being separated from something I deeply cared about invested a ton of time the only resource that we can't really, you know, make more of. Certainly. And uh, built the biggest thing was built a ton of friendships with a lot of common-minded individuals that I was kind of being pulled away from, and just the identity portion of it. Probably like the other services, but probably emphasized way like turn the knob up to eleven, we, rip it off in the Marine Corps. It a lot. Is you're no longer who you were. You're a Marine now. Mm -hmm. Number one, it's not Dave Flares. It's United States Marine comma, Dave Polaris, you know, or, um, <clears throat> so is that loss in identity and kind of, oh crap, who I am I now? And then having to fight through that because even though, um, you know, a lot of guys hang on to that stuff for a while and that's good for them. And, uh, some guys go back into that same type of profession and great for them as well. Mm -hmm. Find a similar environment to go back into. Yeah. You're still you're still no longer part of the club you know you, you, even if you're on the in the margins you know hey man you're, you're out you're no longer part of the club so it's a separation and it's mm -hmm. a, a divorce from something you deeply care about and that 
as tough as a dude as you think you are, um, that that's pretty tough, man. And I think I saw that same thing in the Honor Foundation. Um, you know, one of our, I think he may have been in your cohort, but um, uh, one of the gentlemen said it the best when, when uh, we had an HR panel, four or five HR professionals from the community, okay. and the guys just sat there and asked questions for about two hours with them. And uh, one of the panel members, never been in the military, stood up and goes, look, you all been asking us for questions for two hours. Let me ask you one. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest struggle in your transition? And a, um, a badge raider um, stood up and said, um, Lieutenant Colonel, lots of, lots of experience, tough guy. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm trying to say. Stood up and said, it's just fear. It's fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And the guy sat back and goes, man, I never thought I'd hear a Marine, much less a MARSOC guy, say they were scared of anything. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, his body posture changed. And I sat back. I was like, oh, here it comes. He goes, look, man. He goes, for the last 20, I think, four years at the time, he goes, I've been ultimately confident in my abilities, my training, in my, in my mission, mm -hmm. I knew the terrain, I knew the enemy, I knew my team, I was ultimately confident in their abilities and their training. I knew that anything that was set in front of us, we could overcome, we could accomplish that mission, period. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. He was like, now I'm getting out and, I'm le and, and I don't have any idea what's on the other side of this. Definitely. I don't know the enemy, I don't know the terrain. I'm not confident in my skills. I'm not even confident that some of the stuff that I think I'm good at can translate. And I have a wife, I have kids, I have a mortgage, I have a car payment, I have a standard of living. So yeah, I've got a little anxiety. And I saw the light bulb go off in the professional's head and he goes, man, I never even thought about it like that. So again- I've seen that, definitely. Back to your point, it's about the perspective you gain by interacting and gain, gaining different relationships with different people. It's ironic you say that I- I had a similar conversation. There was a, it was a sergeant major. He was retiring. And I happened to cross paths with him at a party or something. So I think someone was retiring. So I was just talking with him. And he was telling me, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm nervous. I was just, what, I don't know if I'm going to get out, retire and fall flat on my face. And, and I got out at 12 years, but I, was fortunate enough to be single and kidless. Right. Right. So I reasonably am just responsible for not starving myself to death. Right, right. And you can go a couple of weeks without eating. Right. <laughs> so and there are free water fountains everywhere. <laughs> so I remember telling him, if you were going to get out and fail, you'd be failing now. That's great. Yeah. Good. I, 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 it's, and it's hard to see it. You're literally, it's hard to be who you are and then change everything about who you are all at once yeah. and be able to see both sides of that coin. But I remember telling him, You're, you've been successful the last 20 years. Those are the same things that will allow you to be successful in whatever you decide to do. Right. Right. You've, you haven't practiced failing. You're not going to start now. Yeah. Reasonably, though, you just have to identify the, the shortest way to make the list of what's next is if you identify what you are good at doing and what you would ideally do for free and what that translates to. And initially, most people won't get sick of anything they do well that pays them. <laughs> so you at least know where to start. 
And don't limit yourself to things you think are related to what you do. Just things that I do this really well, and I can do. I can exercise these traits in any of these fields. Yeah, this will compensate me the best. Maybe I should start here mm-hmm. and allow me to live here or work wherever. My kids go to this school. Like you'll figure that stuff out with mm-hmm. your your family, your significant others. But just make the shortest list possible. And, and start there and then you'll be able to breathe easier and refine it from there but you've already practiced succeeding for a long time yeah it's a good point that i i say the same thing a little bit differently mm-hmm. uh, and, which is which is you're gonna be fine mm-hmm. and that's so we have uh when i was the honors foundation still partners all of its fellows with a corporate coach mm-hmm. free of charge and when the coaches come in and especially the ones i've never interacted with any vets or civilian or uh, military members they said, what, what do you want me to do? What I said, at the least, just be there. Really, just be there to say, you're going to be fine, man. I've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years out here in the civilian sector. You are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And just that confidence boost, you know, to erase that doubt, like what you're doing, you know, or like in what you're saying is, is almost enough. You know, there is some corporate coaching with resumes and with presentation and how to tell your story, et cetera. But at the at the least, at the minimum, is like just be there, you know, be their battle buddy to like say, hey, look, um, it don't, it's not going to be easy mm-hmm. by any means. I mean, you got to work hard at it just like everybody else, but you'll be fine. I definitely got my resume red penned quite a few times, <laughs> yeah. definitely. But it it turned out all right. Yeah, and I ended up not really needing it, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which it worked out too. Yeah, when so, you're your own boss, your resume passes every time. This is true. I'm, I'm going to make an effort to keep it that way. I'm good. Is that your plan? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It, that's like one of those addictions that it's too hard to get rid of is just being your own. I think a part of it is it's, I look at it like a puzzle. Don't get me wrong. There is the natural, I don't know what the word is. We'll say frustration or agitation of immediately recognizing the difference between having the latitude to do things as you see fit and being under the constraints of someone else, Mm -hmm. you just bristle at it instantly once that shift occurs. So that is part of it. But the other part of it is it's almost like a puzzle that I'm getting to put together. As long as I'm successfully putting it together, I am meeting, you know, my basic needs ideally more than that but i have more control over my time and i'm doing things i find most fulfilling Mm -hmm. and that i'm reasonably most capable of right so it's more so constantly solving this puzzle for keeping those combination of things in in rotation i guess juggling almost realistically Mm -hmm. it's more like juggling those different dynamics and keeping them rotating Mm -hmm. and maybe a part of that challenge is exciting or energizing i'm not sure but to transition from that though when we started or before we started i asked what were three things that you would want to share with the world yeah it could be any three things you want this is my favorite part yeah what three things did you come up with? All right. So this this was I didn't come in here knowing this question, so I, I had to jot some down. So what I 
what I think are most important in the forefront of my mind right now. Mm-hmm. I, I can't claim own ownership of them because it came from a, listening to podcasts or uh, even one is, uh, you know, one is from, it's kind of a mantra that I've been living off of for a while, but it it's a quote from a movie. But the first one is, you know, and this goes back to, you know, our earlier point and topic about interacting with people that don't share the same background or don't share the same. We did it in the Marine, in the Marine Corps, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. So we may have like, or we may be a little spoiled by it Certainly. than somebody who was born and raised in this community or another community and have stayed there their entire lives. But I mean, uh, the, the bottom line is human beings are human beings, mm-hmm. period. I mean, at our core essence, we're all the same. And uh, Sebastian Younger uh, actually, during a podcast, brought this up based off of a um, near death experience that he had. Okay. Um, and he, you know, he, to go on a long story short, he had like an aneurysm in his pan- pancreas, I believe it was, and lo- lost his almost total body volume of blood. And he is only alive because he received 10 units or whatever it was of blood Goodness. from whomever was kind enough or had it in their heart to donate blood, right? And and that was kind of his point is like my, my if we have the same blood type, uh, my blood is your blood and mm-hmm. your blood is my blood. Everything else revolves around the sense that inside of us, the, the two of us, we are all elemental elementally the same mm-hmm. right so we should that should come in to the forefront of every conversation is the only things that make you different than me are the experiences that you've had that where you know things that you've well those would be your experiences but the cultures you grew up in or the cultures you live in now Certainly. or whatever the case may be but essentially we're all the same so let's let's fight for the human race let's fight for each other let's let's be there to try to you know work in tandem rather than uh rather than any other way. Um, so co- cooperation in a sense. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, we may have been a little spoiled. Um, now, again, I wasn't an op- a, quote, operator in the special operations community, but I'd spent an, a little bit of time in that area and deployed in that community mm-hmm. where, you know, by, with, and through your partnered force. Absolutely. Uh, that is essential to the success of special operations, not on the direct action front, maybe so much, but definitely in, in, in the other tenets of what soft does, it's you're partnering with a different force uh, to uh, accomplish, to understand their goals and what they would like to achieve, their aspirations, and help them accomplish their goals and their aspirations through their uh, participation with you. Um, so there's, you know, trust building, there's getting to know each other, there's appreciation of each other, all mm-hmm. those things and getting all the, all the differences out of the way so that you can accomplish a common goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, getting out that that's like a foreign concept to some people and, and to somebody like you or me, it'd be like, yeah, let's, let's do this, man. Let's get, let's get, so yeah. Um, that bl- kind of bleeds into the uh, to the other my second point, which is you know no man's an island. So the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that Kipling or I think? I, 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 no, I is I, it Rudyard Rudyard Kipling? Yes, I believe so. The Jungle Book. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's the truth. You know, um, 
We're, we were not designed to live individually. We're designed to live in circles. And um, even if they're small circles, you know, we all need to be dependent upon each other and have the um, vulnerability and maybe modesty or at least to have the knowledge that you need that. Even if it's in the little little areas, you know, you need every once in a while to call in some help, call in some reinforcements. You need somebody in your life or some body of people in your life. I mean, VBC is a perfect example of it. Just sitting there with the Slack channel on my phone, knowing that at any moment I can reach out to you, Matt, Rob, Chase, uh, anybody, um, uh, Garrett, any anybody that's part of the VBC and have a beer with them mm -hmm. or ask them for a favor, anything uh, is comfort in itself. Um, and that comfort allows you the opportunity to maybe sometimes take a little chance, you know, you know, Definitely. get out there and say, I'm not going to your point. I'm not going to fail because I know I have this support structure where it was the Marine Corps or it was an institution in the past. Now it's a body of like-minded, trusted, and well, not like-minded, I should say, but trusted individuals that are looking out for my best interests. Um, and the last one, it's kind of a joke, uh, but hey, it's better to burn out than to fade away. So squeeze everything you have out of life as much nice. as you can. I am, uh, I'm probably the worst at this uh, because even though you know, I know this in my head. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm fairly conservative. I'm not risk averse, but I do kind of when fiscally or otherwise, when I go into a situation, I'm kind of like, you know, measuring out the the uh, cost versus the gain. I've never heard that saying before. I'll yeah, that that's from a Highlander, I believe. Okay. <laughs> Where he's like, I got one thing to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. <laughs> and so, I'm going to have to check that out. I just thought, I think I saw the Highlander, the original Highlander, by the way, uh, in high school or middle school, uh, and just thought it was a cool <laughs> saying to walk around and like beat my chest with. But you know what? At the end of the day, it truly is. The last thing that I want to do is rot in some... Uh, is to rot away as an old man uh, somewhere, uh, not not being, not, not saying I'm riding motorcycles without helmets, 90 mile an hour down down the highway, weaving in and out of cars or anything like that. But I do want to keep keep this thing burning as hot as it can for as Absolutely. long as I can. And if that torch dims uh, at any point along the way, well, then maybe I need to redirect my path because. If if the right amount of oxygen is not being fed into that into that flame, mm -hmm. um, maybe I've got it on the wrong setting, and I need to you know reset my azimuth and go in a different sense. direction, right? That yeah. makes perfect sense. So, well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, that was, that, that, that was off the top of the head. Nice. So. And and thank you for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. It's always great to sit down with you, and I, because. Not only are you the best dressed guy in the oh, room all the man. time, and I look up to you, in that, but you do have a very unique perspective that I always appreciate, like gleaning your your approach on things and and how you look at the world. So, Thanks, I appreciate anytime, that. Anytime, brother. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's it for the BBC podcast today. I'm Avery Washington, joined by Dave Polaris, yeah. VP of Operations at Cloudwise. That's right. Thanks for checking out the BBC podcast. 